Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's writing. I almost said Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, but if you are a faithful listener, you know that we wrapped up our reflections yesterday evening where we were made to consider uh, Paul's more holistic approach to the Christians in Corinth. And so uh, here in a bit, we are going to get into why he wrote a second letter. But before we do that, and before we really get into the, the essence of what Paul's second epistle is all about to the Church of Corinth, I did want to pose to you a question, certainly a question that would have been in the rearview mirror for St. Paul when he was writing all of his epistles, and that is, what does it mean to be called a Christian? I want you to ask yourself that question right here, right now. If you have a pen and paper out by chance, I want you to write down what you think it means to be a Christian in, in maybe a series of words, a few sentences. What does it mean to be a, a Christian? Certainly, this is a, a question we all need to be asking ourselves. And I wonder, is our response according to what we think or according to what has been revealed in the New Testament? Is our Christianity defined by what we believe, what we feel, what we do, what we like, what we desire, or what Christ has revealed? If we reduce Christianity to what we think, believe, feel, do, like, desire, then my concern would be we are omitting the most important aspect of all Christianity, which is simply who Christ is, right? I-S is. You've heard me say that there is an ought because there was first an is, and that is essentially is the barometer to all that we do, Jesus Christ. St. Paul knew what a Christian was and is, right? A Christian is simply Christ-like, or in the words of Peter Kreft, a little Christ, a member of Christ, a cell in Christ's body. You see, my friends, if our definition of Christianity is something other than what is revealed by Christ, then my concern is that it is missing the mark. And remember, when you talk about missing the mark, you are talking about the law of Christ, right? Uh, the Hebrew word for law in the Old Testament, yara, was an archery term. If you lived in the law of Christ, you were striking bullseye. You were living in the center of the law. This is why in the New Testament, uh, St. Paul uses a Greek term, hamartsia, which literally translates as to miss the mark. Right? If you were not living in the law of God, if you were not living in the heart of God, you were missing the mark. Okay? If our understanding of Christianity is reduced to the subjectivity of our faith, what we think, what we feel, then we are missing the mark. Not that who we are as subjects is to ever be removed, 
from who we are as Christians, right? We respond as persons. We respond as subjects. But what are we responding to? Something that is outside of us, my friends. Something that is to be discovered. If Christianity is reduced to what is arbitrary, then again, we've missed the mark. I bring this up because this is very important to St. Paul. He's trying to communicate. He's writing to community over and over, right, the importance of who Christ is. And certainly each letter has its own context. He's dealing with different specifics. But in the end, the overarching truth is that something has been revealed that has yet to be discovered. And if you want to become the person that God is calling you to be, then you need to step into that becoming. And the becoming is what? Well, more like Christ. I have a lot of friends whose way of life is to uh, work on our particular trade. And over time, they have become quite good at that particular trade. Um, I have a good friend who's a welder. I have a good friend who is an engineer. I have a good friend who's an electrician. And all three of them of recent date have told me that the more they practice what they do, the better they become at what they do, right? Well, the same could be said in our Christian faith. The more we study Jesus Christ and pray to better understand Jesus Christ and implement it in our everyday life, the better Christians we are going to become. Does this not bring us back to that most important truth and proverb? What you feed grows. The more you spend time with something, the more not only familiar you are going to be with that something, but more efficient at it. So, how do you define Christianity? Do you go to the New Testament? Is it a discipline and faith that you see that's caught up in something that you discover? Or do you leave it to whatever you make it out to be based upon your emotions, based upon your passions? This is an important juxtaposition that we have to start thinking about. All right, 2 Corinthians. Who is St. Paul writing to? Corinth was the largest, most cosmopolitan and decadent city in Greece, right? Two-thirds of its 700,000 citizens were what? Slaves. It was a major port and hub of commerce. And as we discussed in our study on 1 Corinthians, much of its commerce was what? Human flesh. To act like a Corinthian in many ways was to act like a pagan. The city was full of idolatry which centered around, of course, Aphrodite, the the goddess of sex. Her temple atop an 1,800-foot promontory had a 1,000 temple prostitutes. This is the city that Paul came to evangelize in 51 and 52 AD and later write letters to. As far as the date is concerned, if the first letter to Corinth was written in the uh, spring of 56 AD, the second letter to Corinth was probably written in the fall of 56 AD. So uh, there was a short time span in between those two letters. Now, by the time uh, St. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, the community, that is the Christian community, the Corinthian community was further threatened by outside intruders claiming to be legitimate apostles. And as St. Ignatius' commentary highlights, these were the troublemakers that moved in during Paul's absence and turned a number of the Corinthians, uh, Christians, against him, claiming that Paul was fickle, claiming that Paul was inarticulate, claiming that 
Paul was simply unqualified to be a messenger of Jesus Christ. And these false teachers created tensions between Paul and the Corinthians that eventually reached a point of crisis. So Paul, therefore, makes this brief emergency visit to Corinth to set the record straight, if you will. But he was unexpectedly attacked by an unnamed offender, and we'll talk more about this when we get to chapter 2 and and chapter 7. But essentially, we note it here because to the apostles' distress, most of the Corinthians failed to defend him against this outspoken opponent. Only later would the majority of them repent of their guilty silence and again give Paul their full allegiance. Chapters 10 to 13 certainly indicate that a minority of the Corinthians remained impenitent and continued to question the validity of Paul's apostleship. So, more or less, this is one of the reasons why he writes this second letter. Second Corinthians, my friends, is a deeply personal and emotional letter. When you read the second letter to the church of Corinth, you see this pretty quickly, and all the, the commentaries highlight this. And for this reason, the letter is sometimes difficult to follow, but it really does give us a rare glimpse of both the tenderness of St. Paul, but at the same time, the tenacity of St. Paul. And there you see his, I believe, identity coming out as a spiritual father, because every father is both firm and gentle. You're firm when you need to be firm as a father, but at the same time, you're gentle when you need to be gentle as a father. You see this come out in St. Paul, this tenderness, and yet at the same time, this tenacity. He was a spiritual father going through, in many ways, the painful experience of his own children rising up against him and kind of going their own way, his own children who were doing whatever they wanted to do, doing whatever they think, feel, right? This subjective element coming into play. The highs and lows of this experience certainly are stamped into the first and second halves of his letter, the second letter. Early on, Paul is bursting with joy to hear that some of the Corinthians are turning back to him. This brings him great joy. But later, we read of his anger. We read of his frustration, return when he remembers that others are still acting in defiance against him. All that being said, St. Paul makes clear use of the rhetorical arts to affirm and, and encourage the faithful as well as to denounce and expose the, the malice of his detractors for what it is, the dissenters for who they are. Detractors, dissenters, they're always about minimizing and not maximizing. They're always about weakening and not strengthening. They're always about subtracting and not adding on to the principles of the gospel. You know, we have these debates about who is the best in whatever particular field. And it's a really funny thing because we really remove ourselves from what is objective to just kind of carry on in, in what we think. I have been making note about the discussion on the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> and I know a few of you have sent me emails and have somewhat enjoyed it. But as I talk about it, I do so for a reason. And here again, I bring it up because what is the discussion being had today? Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it Michael Jordan or LeBron James? And what's interesting about the discussion is it has turned into a very subjective thing. We're not really debating any of the facts. All we're left with debating is what we think. 
And what I find interesting and why I bring it up now is if you are a detractor against either Michael Jordan or LeBron James, all you're busy about doing is what? Minimizing the play of Jordan or LeBron James, subtracting, if you will. You're not looking at it objectively. And this is just a a principle of discussion, right? You are to look at it as objectively as possible. St. Paul wants us to see the need to look at the revelation of Christ objectively. And here's the thing. We are moving towards an object, and that object is a person. Were the magi, right, the three wise men, were they just wandering aimlessly? No, they saw a star, and they had a goal in mind to find the infant king. And once they found it, what did they do? They fell down prostrate, worshiping the infant king. Didn't fall down because they were tired and and they needed some kind of nap. No, they fell down because they found what they were looking for based upon revelation. They were guided by an objective star, right? And they were led to the infant king. This is what St. Paul was after. He was wanting them to move out from this idea that truth is an abstract and into this understanding that truth is concrete. Okay, what else could be said here? Well, many things. Let us just jump into 2 Corinthians. I was hoping to get at least a few verses, so let's do so. If you can turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, and I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 2. 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who were in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why is he establishing that from the outset? Well, (laughs) what was I just talking about? He had his detractors. He had people pointing the finger at him and saying, he is not articulate enough. He doesn't write well enough. He doesn't do all these things well enough, but what he's saying is, okay, fine, have it as you will. But in the end, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ for the church of God. Incidentally, my friends, what does it mean to say church? What is that Greek there? Ekklesia, to be called out from. Ekklesia literally means to be called out from. You're all called out from the world from a particular way of life and into a new way of being. And this defines St. Paul's apostleship. Remember who we are talking about here. Remember the details that we have discussed. (laughs) Paul, one Saul, was the great persecutor of the first Christians. He stoned the first martyr to death, Stephen. We read about it in Acts 7. Think about that. This is the man that Jesus called out. He pulled them out from this particular way of life and into this new way of being. And when he did, he unleashed an apostle unlike any other. A man who was so versed in the Old Testament, he could give it to you verbatim. A man that was so fluid in his thinking that when he began to write about Jesus Christ, He saw, after many years of contemplation, how indeed he was the fulfillment to the great 
prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. He was the man to give us a deeper insight into the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's called out from this particular way of life and into this new way of being for the sake of the church. And so (laughs) he has a message for his critics. This is not my doing. This is the doing of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves Christ, the anointed one, the anointed one who God sent to us that he might ransom us from our sin and at the same time save us, bringing us salvation. How important is that? And what about Timothy? And you know, I don't think we have probably spent enough time with Timothy, a faithful companion of Paul. We read of this in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Uh, certainly someone who should be familiar to us as we touched upon him in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Timothy is one of those saints, my friends, that I just think goes undervalued. Mea culpa. I don't talk about him enough. I mean, think about it. St. Paul wrote him two letters. So close was he to Timothy and such an affection he had for Timothy that he would not only write two letters to him, but in those letters really elevate him and his status in the early Christian church. You have a particular role. I urge you to guard the faith. I urge you to enter deeper into your priestly ministry. I urge you to continue to be the man that God has called you to be. He was an important brother to Timothy. And so, once again, in this salutation, he brings them in because he wants his audience to understand that Timothy and his message is like that of his own. Why? Because it is the message of Jesus Christ, the message that Jesus has come to save us from our sin, that Jesus has healed us of the deep wound that took place all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This is the message that is before Paul, Timothy, and 2,000 years later, us today. All right. With all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, the saints, the holy ones, okay, those who have fought the good fight, who have lived the faith, those who have been set apart, those who have embraced what it means to be a faithful Christian, to be one who belongs to the church that belongs to God. Because it's interesting, my friends, when you break down the word church, as we just did, to be called out from, so as to be called into, it is akin to the word holy, right? Because the word holiness in its Hebrew origin simply means to be set apart. Once you are called out from the way of the world, from the sinful ways of the world, you are called into the way of God, this new way of being, which sets you apart, all right? That is why entering deeper into the sacramental life of the church is so important for our own sanctity and holiness. Deeply important. In verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are two very important words in every salutation that you find in early Christianity, certainly the books of the New Testament. It is on the lips of Jesus Christ everywhere, right? Grace to you, peace to you. And this is more than just some sort of formal greeting that was lost on Jesus Christ, and for that matter, St. Paul and, and others. No, it had meaning. 
our Lord was very intentional when he said, grace to you, peace to you. Imagine with me, if you will, the next time you encounter a good friend of yours, he or she says to you, grace and peace to you. What does that do to you when you receive that, when you hear that? How might you respond out from that? Might it be different if someone just said hello? Try it. Try it. Next time you see a friend, say, grace and peace to you, the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and see how the person responds. I wonder if this isn't something we should rediscover. I mean, if we were going to bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ into the culture, why not start with how we greet one another, how we encounter one another? You have heard me say on many occasions that all of this discussion about the new evangelization can be distilled in two words, invitation and encounter. In that encounter, what greater invitation are you giving to the person you are speaking with than saying, grace to you, and may the peace of Christ be with you. Grace to you, and may the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. Try that and see what happens. Take note. Maybe you can get back to me on that one. You have my email, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website, joeholcraft.org, just hit the contact link button there. Send me some of your responses, huh? Send me some of your reflections on that. This is more than just a homework assignment just to see how someone responds. No, mean it, right? <laughs> mean it. And see how it changes the rhythm and tenor of your discussion. <clears throat> what you just might find on the other side is a holy conversation, a holy conversation that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So something to think about. All right, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what is St. Paul doing there? You know, I've already spoken to it. There's a lot of tension there. He's navigating that tension with what? A greeting that's rooted in the mercy of God. Yes, St. Paul in this letter, you can hear his frustration for sure. But he understands while we may struggle in our humanness, in those emotions of, of anger and frustration, we are called to something greater. And that is to imitate, live in the very mercy of God, which as he speaks to it here is a great consolation, is a great comfort to us. And he wants us to enter into that very consolation and comfort. So as he says in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So if you are suffering in any way, shape, or form, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe the loss of a loved one, understand that our Lord understands, that we can never say no one understands because there couldn't possibly be anything that we undergo or have to endure that Jesus Christ has not first passed through. The Paschal mystery is defined how, what Christ passed through, right? The passing over, the passing through, the passing over. So let us enter into the great mystery of Christ's Paschal mystery. In these opening verses, Paul blesses 
God the Father for the mercies and comforts he wishes to pour out upon his children in need. He not only comforts them with inner consolation, but also gives them strength to endure every hardship because the divine comfort that Paul receives overflows to benefit the Corinthians undergoing their own afflictions. I mean, consider verses 6 to 7. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. What did I just say? And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And again, here he is clearly speaking specifically to those Christians in Corinth who have undergone persecution. And note here the connection between patience and suffering, that in its root, suffering literally means to what? Patiently endure. You can never separate patience from suffering. Essentially, in the act of patience, there is a revelation of what it means to suffer, especially as it relates to when you are undergoing something, when you are undergoing a particular kind of persecution. Christ's suffering, what does that mean? Brothers and sisters, the mission of the believer is to become like Christ, which means patiently enduring life's most unbearable pain and suffering. Certainly, we know, as we have explored in detail, Paul and his missionary team experienced such hardships, and really on a routine basis. And this is what our own lives are to be measured up against. All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. I know we just got the ball rolling here with Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He's given us this salutation. He's given us this greeting, and really he's wasted no time. He wants those reading his letter to understand that if they are suffering, if they are undergoing hardships, that it is for the greater cause of Christ and the building up of the kingdom of God. And so this is the message he has for us today. We live in a new Corinth, do we not? Sure, where commerce, trade, and decadence is everywhere, but there is also a moral depravity. We need to rise up and be stewards of the faith that Christ has entrusted us with so as to be a Christian who builds up the body of Christ for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.